Yeah, there's gotta be a better way to manage a dojo You think about it a lot and you don't know You try various things without any luck Online or off, you seem to get stuck We a dojo manager here to help you A simple tool to help manage your school The sign up is easy and not long The dojo manager.com We are martial artists for martial artists Helping you make your school go the farthest The sign up is easy and not long The dojo manager.com Come sign up today Yeah Welcome to Karate Cafe, your source for martial arts conversations since 2005. Karate Cafe is sponsored by Piranha Gear. Visit PiranhaGear.com for all your martial arts equipment needs. And now, here's your hosts, Paul Wilson and Dan Williams. Hello again, everybody. It's Paul here with another episode of Karate Cafe. Uh, I hope you guys had a great holiday season, and we have a very special holiday gift for you. Can you believe it? Finally, after a year or so of juggling, we have our interview with the great Ian Abernathy. He and I sat down next to a cozy mug of the internet and uh, had a long, this is like a, a just right at an hour long interview. Unfortunately, Dan couldn't make it, but uh, he will have to sit in shame and awe as I got to discuss all things martial arts with Ian. He discussed some of his background. He discussed uh, his research methods. He discussed this, some of his thoughts uh, on self-defense and training. Uh, we talked about uh, his home dojo. Uh, it was a fairly wide-ranging conversation. And uh, without further ado, I want to get to it. The great Ian Abernathy. Guess what? Just off to my center line is not Dan Williams. Unfortunately, Dan had a little bit of an issue, but we've got your very special Christmas present the long-awaited, long-hoped-for uh, <laughs> interview with the one, the only, Ian Abernathy. Ian, thank you for coming to Karate Cafe. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. We, uh, as, you, as you know, I've got a, a big karate crush on you, and, and we've uh, reposted a lot of your stuff. And uh, we, we think, and uh, myself and Dan, who's a Wing Chun uh, stylist, have often said that you know, your approach to martial arts is... is um, uh, is is fairly fresh and, and kind of an interesting take on traditional martial arts in general, and uh, so we've been really trying to get you on. We've listened to you on other shows, and we all listen to your podcast. So we really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Happy to happy to do it. I appreciate the invite. Oh, great! Thank you very much. Uh, we have a, a list of questions, so I'm going to start with the first and more, most important one. Uh, Ian, why are you so awesome? Go. <laughs> okay, that's 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 the other one. Uh, yeah, um, the first thing was actually I just noticed on some of the videos you've put out lately, uh, and, and this is kind of a, a weird way to start, but it's, it's the first thing that's popping into my head, is I, I noticed that sometimes you're wearing a black belt and sometimes you're wearing a red and white belt. Yes, yes. So what's going on there? Well, I, I, um, a few years ago, I was great to uh, sixth dan uh, through the, uh, the British Combat Association. So at that time, I was given a red and black block belt, you know, as the wearing judo for six dans and above. Um, most of the time, I don't wear that one. I wear my, my normal uh, uh, black belt simply because it's more comfortable. So I'll, I'll let you know a little secret now, you see. I, I'm, when I leave to teach seminars, when I get on planes and travel, I, I'm not that organized when I'm getting up at 4 a.m. in the morning to fly off. So I normally fly on a Friday. We teach a teach on a Thursday. So if you see a video where I've got the red and white belt on, that means I'm about to fly somewhere the next day, and the black belt's in my suitcase. Oh, okay. 
That's, actually- that's what it means. Yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, I was given one. Um, it was a gift, you know, for getting sixth down. I don't wear it that often, but it's, um, so if the black belt's in the bag, then that's the spare that gets worn. So. Oh, okay. That's, it's actually kind of a funny thing. We had a, a 2D seminar, uh, last weekend and my sensei showed up and he, he's a seventh on, he wears a red and white belt and he's, He's got one. He's got like I don't know six or seven different black belts that he has in various states of of, of wear and tear. But he wears that one a lot. But his red and white belt, he like he literally like just forgot to take it off the hook before he left, and he had to borrow somebody's. <laughs> yeah, I've I've done that a few times. Well, I've turned up for seminars without belts in the past as well. So it's um, uh, yeah, it's always good to have a spare. Well, my, the black belt I wear was again, it was a gift from my students as well. So. In my mind, there's, I have one black belt, if you see what I mean. So I've never bought any others or anything like that. So right. I've got one black, one red and white. And, the, you know, if, if, if people see your red and white one, that means that I filmed it the day before I fly, pretty much. Right. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, and that leads me to one of my other questions is, you know, we, you know, we all see your video from the seminars and we see some from your actual class and stuff like that. And I know when we were talking about scheduling this interview, uh, you were talking about, you know, t- teaching regular class. So what... We see the the really cool stuff you do in seminars. Kind of, what's the pace of like a regular class? I mean, is it just a basic sort of "quote unquote" regular karate class, or I mean, are you? No, but it, I mean, the seminars are different because you, you kind of you, you, you're given um, uh, picking a theme and you're running with it for like either four hours or a full weekend or whatever it happens to be. You know, you assume that people already know the kata, they can already move well, you know, but of course, for my own students, I've got to teach them all that as well. So um, I wouldn't say we have a typical class, though, because we, things um, in any given kind of fortnightly cycle we'll be doing, we'll have done some basics, we'll do some kata, we'll do some pad work, we'll do lots of various types of sparring, bunkai drills, but on any given class. Um, we can um, choose from that kind of menu you see in order to, okay, today we won't do basics because we did some basics last time, so this time we'll do a little bit more on the pads. So we try, we'd like to keep it varied, you know, as much as, as, much as possible. Oh, okay. So, because uh, I know you have, um, you know, the World Combat Association and, and, and all that. Do you, is that kind of how you generated the curriculum for your part of that? I mean, or because it, 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 it seems like you have a really sort of broad base of things yeah. to draw from. But, well, that, that was, I mean, we did that over a, a period of years. I mean, like most karate, we started off um, in a, you know, you've got, you do your basics, you've got your pair work, you do your kata, you do some sparring, and pretty much all, every class is, is kind of structured around that kind of format. And then as the years have gone by, and, you know, it's not just me, it's me and the guys that are, that are, are trained with as well. Um, we started to develop our own approach and then we start to kind of tweak the syllabus to reflect the way that we're all training. So as the years have rolled by, um, what we're actually teaching and practicing has changed, you know, quite a bit. So, um, but, but the, 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 what we teach in the class is, is, is kind of our amalgam of everything that we've been taught and everything we've developed really. Oh, interesting. So, you know, we did an episode not too long ago about uh you know creating new systems and stuff like that do you feel that you've sort of created a new system i mean you, you know you still have your, your core of uh you know what you trained in but do you feel like you you have a, a more of a codified system or just more of a no i, I, would, I wouldn't um systems are word i wouldn't personally use i mean I, I i know what i do is karate if you would ask me to define it further than that i have no idea you know, I, I, I couldn't say it, it's X type of karate. I, I, um, I started training in traditional wado, 
what I do now is, is far removed from that, although it still has strong elements of that within it, you know. Um, so I wouldn't say I've developed a system, but, but I always think I've got two things, really. I've got what I call my approach, which is the general way of thinking and way of practicing, which, you know, is generally what I teach at the seminars and things like that. You know, here's how I do things. Maybe there'll be elements of this that will be useful for you. And then I've got the method, which is specifically what I teach in the dojo. So I'd say I have a method of doing things. Um, but I wouldn't categorize it as a style as such because built into the way that we teach as well, this is a conscious decision. I, I, I think as soon as you fixate something, as soon as you kind of cast it in amber, it, it's got a limited shelf life. You know, martial arts have always evolved. They've always changed. And I think we should have that built into the process. So we have that in mind that I don't want my method to be the exact same as my students' method because they're not me. So I want them to explore and think for themselves, to develop their own way of doing it based on their own experiences. You know, in core, it's sort of free for all because you've got you know certain things that are combative rules and physics and the way that human body moves. But in terms of how they kind of their own particular spin on things, um, I, I would hope that what they do will be different from mine, and then their students will be different still. I think that's a healthy way to do things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when you started making the move towards uh, practical karate did you get you know uh, pushback from any of you know maybe you're like your senior instructors or your you know, your teachers and stuff that when you started down no path, not no? not not at all you know I, I know a lot of people do but um um where i was my it's like a lot of people when you start karate you don't know whether you're starting a good club or a bad club you've no idea because you haven't got the knowledge to make that informed choice so, I mean, I, I simply went, I went along to a class that a couple of my school friends were going to, but I just looked out. I just happened to have a really good teacher, a guy called Doug James, who's an eighth dan, really well respected in British karate, high technical standard, good guy, and really open-minded. You know, he, he was one of the, you know, there were certain things that, you know, he was really exacting on, um, you know, he likes basics have to be done right, cat has to be done right, he, that sessions were physically and technically very demanding. But then what you went and did with that information, you know, again, he was he was very open-minded. He, when I started to explore all this stuff, he could not have been more supportive. He was inviting people in that I thought I'd like to train with. He was organizing seminars for me to go to. When I started to train with other people, it was, yeah, that's a great thing, bring that knowledge back to us. So I know a lot of people have those problems, but I'm, I'm fortunate to say I, I, I never had that. All my instructors have been extremely supportive and have been happy when I've um, put my own spin on what they've shown me. I've, I've never had that kind of demand that I do as they do. Never had that. And I mean, I mean one of the things I mean, I like it too. It's like, you know, if, if, you, if you're raising kids, at some point you want those children to be able to stand on their own two feet and leave the house. You know what I mean? You don't want to keep them in a state of consistent dependence. And I think it should be the same with the martial arts. There should be some point where your students are able to say, you know, thanks for everything you've given me. And, you know, I know you've still got more to teach me, but I can I can stand on my own two feet now. And, and thankfully, all my instructors have um, supported that. Wow, I'm weeping openly right now. It's, it's, it's awesome. The uh, well, then I guess maybe that that dovetails into a nice one. Uh, another tangent of that is, you know, in your travels. I mean, and and since you've been been working on this, have you had you know traditional martial artists in general? Like you know, and I guess you know, I mean, not just in the UK, but like when you go to a seminar or something where you you know, explain some concepts that are coming from a kata, and they're like, "That's you're crazy," you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had to deal with any of that? I mean, oh yeah, loads of it. Not 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 so much at the seminars because, generally speaking, those that go to the seminars are people who are interested in 
what I do. Right. But, you know, right. so it, it very rarely do you get anything directly at the seminars because most people are, and, and I mean, and, and I, I always, I set off right from the start. Every seminar I ever do, I always say, look, I'm not saying my way of doing things is the best way or the only way. It's just my way. And there might be bits of it you like and there'll be bits of it you don't. So on that basis, I'm sure there's plenty of the people there think, well, I don't really agree with him on that, or I like the way I do this as opposed to he does. But that's built into the way that I teach. You know, I just that that's fine. I accept that. You don't need to convince me of what you do in the same way I'm not trying to convince you about what I do. So most of the, the kickback I tend to get tends to be, you know, emails and online and indirect stuff really. So <laughs> nothing uh, within arm's reach. No, no, it tends not to be. You know, and, and the thing is as well is I think he's I mean, within the, the, the practical karate community, we, we tend to be a pretty open-minded bunch, you know what I mean? So uh, I've got, you know, there's people I'm surrounded with, or there's very few that I can think of I agree, I agree with on everything. And and we just kind of accept that that's the way that it is, and it, it's, it's healthy to have disagreement and dissent, you know. So, um, And then I think as well that most people, when they actually see what I do, they'll realize that it's very pro karate it's not anti-karate at all it's it's fulfilling it it's not questioning it it's trying to make it into what it's supposed to to be and whether people agree with the specifics of the way i do that but it's certainly i don't think it should be threatening to to anyone's kind of existing worldview or way of practice really right i know that's what i found in the the time that yeah i told you i started doing uh bunkai sort of related seminars uh for myself and you know i invited people and uh, and no one had, it was really refreshing because everyone you know i had people from different styles and they were like oh that's kind of a cool take you know we do this <laughs> and i'm like because i was really expecting you know, like literally i was expecting people to kind of come and go like show me what you know jerk you know yeah, but it, yeah. it's been very i think people who walk in the door are going to be open-minded right there I, you know they i don't think there's gonna be dojo busting going on or no, no, and I think that, that that's right. And, and, and just by the, the very definition, if they're the kind of person who is looking for something new, then the, the, they've already acknowledged that you're not going to find every single answer in one place. So, so I, I find that, I mean, I teach seminars, so every karate style you can think of. I have Krav Maga guys that turn up. We have Tansu Do, Taekwondo, you know, and everybody shares everything. And we all acknowledge that, you know, the bottom line, we're all trying to achieve similar things. So... I mean, it's, 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 I don't know. I, I think that styles are one of these things that will disappear in due course as people are starting to get more and more just, you know, we're all martial artists and the, the style thing is very much, a, it's a secondary thing. It's just the way we all train while we're seeking very similar things generally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if, if, if I can agree. You're wrong. I don't know if you can uh, agree with it or I can agree with it. I think the style thing will kind of be there because it'll be, you know, sort of a big bracket thing. But, uh, yeah, I do think that, especially, you know, with the Internet and you know, whatnot, people are kind of understanding. And, again, it's kind of where I was going with, with my seminars is like, you know, we all still kind of do the same stuff. You approach mm -hmm. it this way. I approach it that way. But that concept is the same. And there's your iteration of it. Here's my iteration of it. And, uh, but I mean, I, I think people still have a large amount of pride in their, you know, I study Kung Fu, I study Karate, I study, you know, Judo, whatever. Um, and that's another interesting question, uh, that I have was, um, you've obviously, you know, delved somewhat into other systems. Uh, that video you posted the other day of the throws was, was really good. And you were, you know, breaking down the difference between how Karate does it and how Judo does it. 
And uh, we actually had that in my uh, 2D seminar that I went to the other day. They were doing a hip throw, and I, and I, the guy who was demonstrating it had studied judo, and I was like, but the way he explained it was not the mechanical way that I understand it from judo. And I was like, and I went, and I was like, hey, is that how you're supposed? And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> he said that's just the way we're doing it, you know, relative to our system. Yes. But yeah. um, so. What other systems have have you delved into? A lot of other systems, or I mean, have you? Well, in terms of various forms of karate, I've done a lot of those, you know. So I've, I've both like modern styles, and I've been lucky enough to like cross train with people of various systems. So within the karate um, sub bracket, if you like, that's what I was meaning by styles as well. You know, like short can goju wado. You know, right. I just tend to train in karate with it. Beyond that. Um, so a little bit of kickboxing stuff as well, um, judo as well, um, tiny bits of harness, not much, and just you know, lots and lots. It's a good thing about belonging to an organisation like the you know the the well the British Combat Association. And, um, they used to do the what they call the instructors courses. So every eight weeks, they would get an expert in the given system to teach all the instructors, you know, what they do. So that was quite good because that was, again, you would obviously expose lots of different methods and approaches as well. And that, that, that proved to be quite useful. Oh, very good. Yeah, I, that's, you know, one of the things that, that I enjoy. Actually, because, you know, we a year or two ago had a, a little bit of a, a back and forth about Kabuto and, and the training of that and, and finding it. So I, I find that when I cross train with someone else in their system, I'm looking for things that kind of, Go along with with what I'm what I'm working with. That. Not necessarily that I agree with the application, but that it goes with a concept, a core concept of the system that I'm doing. No, no, absolutely. I'm exactly the same. So I'm always looking for it. And sometimes it's something you can hang it on in your own, own existing practice. And I'm, I'm sure you find the same. But sometimes it's not just. Sometimes it's technical things. But more often that's not it. It'll be uh, the way that they will train something. That that'll be more appealing, you know. So I, I'll end up taking a training method back, as well as your specific methods and things as well. So I think you, you can you can learn a lot. And see, we forget this with the, the the history of it. If you look at our old masters, you know, the the, the people who formulated what we've now labelled as karate, they were all prolific cross trainers. It's hard to find a single one of them who just studied under one guy. You know, so again, you know, I think good things come from lots of sources. Yeah, I, I say one of the things I say is, is you know, I teach a traditional mixed martial art. You know, it's <laughs> it's weapons. There's groundwork. There's throws. You know, I had somebody come and and to the dojo one time and they watched the class and and he said, "Wow, you know, I'm really uh, excited. I've always kind of wanted to study jujitsu." And I'm like, "Well, we're not jujitsu." And he's like, "Well, you're throwing stuff." And I'm like, "Well, no." <laughs> That's, that's also in there too. That uh, also brings me another good or works onto another question that I had was, you know, uh, in your podcasts and in and your videos and seminars and stuff, you really reference a lot to, you know, sort of the, the past masters, uh, you know, and do you think that, you know, they're, they're clearly, you know, my impression is that you know, a lot of their precepts and, and, and concepts and, and thoughts on martial arts are still, you know, vital today. Do you think that they're being lost, and are you consciously trying to bring them back to the fore? Well, I, yeah. I mean, well, I, I, from my own training, I've kind of got like I've got one foot in the reality-based martial arts camp, and I've got one foot in the traditional camp, and I generally don't see any difference between them. When you, you listen to what modern reality-based self-defense guys say, 
and what the old masters of karate said, that generally in terms of concepts and principles, they're discussing um, very similar things. So I, 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 I'm not a, um, romantic about the history of it. it I, the only reason I quote it so much is because I think it's, it, it, it's very relevant to the, the modern day. And I also think it helps, you know, for people who have that um, traditional training, traditional mindset, you can sometimes, for example, I'll give preemption was one, you know, the, this idea of, you know, if you were think that the fight is about to begin and there is no way to avoid the situation, despite your best efforts, it's going to get physical. Then um, I was taught by a good number of my instructors, well, you hit first and then you run. And then you get the traditional karate guys would get upset about that until I started saying, well, did you know that Funakoshi said the same? Did you know that Mabuni said the same? Did you know that Motobu recommended that? So I think sometimes referring back to the old masters for the traditionalist just gives them permission to to listen to certain things, I think. so. Um, but, I mean, the, the main reason I keep quoting it is because it's still valid. <laughs> well, and that's, again, practical. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. The, uh, and, and so, you know, working off of that. So, you know, when you're focusing on the, um, uh, the practical aspects of the art, you know, as you see, do you think there's any part of the actual, you know, kind of art, quote-unquote, being lost, uh, you know, um, <laughs> I, I, I do, but there shouldn't be. See, this is my. Um, if you if you take martial arts in its, its general sense, meaning you know everything that we do, there's so much value in there. You know, in terms of um, positive lifestyles, health benefits, um, enjoyment, cultural interest. There's just so much cool stuff, and I think if people just go, well, I'm only interested in self defence, and that's it. They're missing out on so much that the martial arts I've got to offer. Um, you know, that, that should be to me, you know, any martial art that doesn't improve your abilities to keep yourself safe from violence. I mean, that's a, that's an entry re- level requirement for me. It, it should that should be part of its objectives. But I think if that's its only objective, you've, you've got a problem. So I, I don't mind doing things for art for art's sake. I'm, I'm, when I the, the analogy I always give just, you know, I'm talking from a home now. Well, I can run out the door and in 20 minutes I'm on top of this hill and I can see out across to Scotland and on a good day I can see across the Irish Sea on the other side and I'm surrounded by these great mountains and when I'm up there slowly going through Makata, I don't care how practical it is. You know, I'm just enjoying the art of it. And, and, and those that, that kind of side of things for me is, is of, of great value and I think when people just go, no, it's all about crime and violence, they just miss out on, on, on so much of that. And I don't think it's psychologically healthy to obsess on violence all the time either it should be part of what we do and we shouldn't confuse art for self-defense but it's just you know we do the whole lot of it because it's all good yeah uh, you know and that's one of the things that i really appreciate about your approach is you know when you talk about things well first off the the i can't remember how long ago it was but when you did your podcast and you talked about karate as a civilian protection system mm-hmm. I, mean, I was in my car and i was really like thank you that's what i've been trying to think of <laughs> You know, because that's been kind of my, my, you know, I train with some guys and they're all, you know, rip their rip cage out and spit on them and, you know, whatever. <laughs> da, da, da. And I'm very much like, I don't want to fight because, you know, I don't want to get hurt anymore. And so then when you said that, that was like the dominoes were already staged and started falling when, when you said that. And, uh, and, I, and I notice a lot in, the, in your seminars, you do that, you're engaged, you do what you need to do, and then you back out and, you know, you back out, your hands are up. And you talk about the different ranges and stuff like that. Um, it, was that, uh, as you you know came up up through black belt and stuff, was that uh, something that was 
enhance it and put forth in your training or is that something you kind of came to? Um, a bit of both, you know, so that's obviously influence of people who've taught me and then me running with it myself. Um, <laughs> but this is, I think that's, you know, if you, we should always define what's the problem. And then as soon as you do that, then we know what the best solution is. And what we tend to do in martial arts, I find, is we do the exact opposite. I've got a solution, and I'll try and reinvent the problem to fit my solution. So you'll, you'll get a guy who's, say, like a really good fighter, and then he'll say, well, self-defense is a street fight. It's not a street fight. You know what I mean? Self-defense is self-defense. So what's your objective in self-defense? Well, it's to make sure that me and mine don't get harmed. And in a way that's in accordance with the law of the land either, you know. So because of that, you know, you quickly realize, well, the best way for me to achieve that is to be as far away from this problem as I possibly can be. So we need to practice things like, you know, de-escalation, escaping skills, um, making sure that all our training is in accordance with, like, legal principles and things. And, and you mentioned about, like, you know, we do disengage and we do practice running away. We've got drills specifically designed to improve your ability to run away. So... We, and, and what really bugs me when you hear martial arts instructors teach self-defense, they'll do things like they'll say, oh, talk your way out of it if you can. Now let me show you how to get out of a headlock. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> tell, to tell me how to talk my way out of it. Yeah. You know, or run, run away if you can. But anyway, now let me show you how to deal with a front chip. No, 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 no. There's skills involved with running away. You can't just say run away if you can and then magically I'll have those abilities. If I've got to be good at something, I need to practice it. So, And then this is why, I mean, one of my... Um, personal kind of bugbears at the moment is is i see a lot of that where people are mistaking fighting which is fine you know fighting's a, you know it's good to go to the dojo and fight one another and that's it's, it's it's nice to have those skills and but to mistake fighting for self-defense is problematic tactically and legally it's, it's oh, yeah. not not a good thing yeah yeah i've had every whenever you you reiterate that you know a lot in your podcast and you know you myself included there's a lot of heads nodding i'm sure you know one of my things that anyone who's out there who's listened to my show i always say that in my dojo i train i, I don't do street fighting i fight for the cul-de-sac <laughs> you know i live in the suburbs you know and so i'm not i'm not gonna you know i'm not looking for a fight I'm, you know, protecting me and mine, and I need to disengage. And uh, on this week's or last week's episode, I guess, you know, one of the things Dan brought up, we said, you know, he and I are both IT guys. We're on the keyboard all day. And I said, you know, if I break my hands in a fight, I can't work. So, you know, there's all that sort of thing, like de-escalation yeah. and avoiding the, the conflict and then, you know, striking in a, a meaningful way. Well, and then you've got, I mean, so that, that, I mean, I think that the word street fight is one that we should strike from our lexicon. We shouldn't be using it. Amen, brother. Yeah, because you've got like, you've got fighting. So I, you know, you, you, you enter a competition, you step into a cage on a mat in a ring, or you go to the dojo and you fight and that's perfectly legal. It's healthy. It's fun. It's enjoyable. Great. But, but if you fight in the street, you've got no legal right to do that. It, it, it's on one level, it's dumb because you can get injured. The second level, it's illegal. So we've, I, we've got a legal right to, to defend ourselves. We don't have a legal right to fight in the street. So I think when people use the term street fighting and pretend it's synonymous with self-protection, that's a big problem. So I'm always wary for that when people go, would this work in a street fight? I go, look, the only person who gets involved in street fight are stupid people. There's no, there's no <laughs> it's stupid. It's yes. ridiculous to, to say, well, okay, I will agree to fight you in the street because one is you can get severely harmed and the other one is you can go to prison for it. Right. 
you know what I mean? So it's um, yeah, no, I'm 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 with you. It's, it's not. It's just, and, and that and, you know, and that doesn't mean that fighting skills don't have a, a place. I mean, I I, I you go to the judo dojo and you throw each other around and you have a good fight and it's great. You know, let let's do all of that, but let's not pretend. That that's self-defense, you know. And I also think another one we do is, if you notice it, like you'll get guys who'll say, um, I've been involved in a thousand street fights, so I can tell you what works in the street. Well, to me, I don't want to learn self-defense from that guy any more than I'd want. <laughs> I wouldn't want to learn road safety from the guy who said, no, I've been knocked over a thousand times, but I've survived every one. Right. You know, you want the guy who says, I understand traffic. I don't get hit by cars. You know what I mean? Right. So, <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's one of the people that... It, that it, I think there's a lot of it that, you know, there's a, you know, I, I don't know if you've noticed about martial art, but there's a little bit of ego involved. And, <laughs> and so a lot of those guys are like, you know, street, this is street deadly. And I'm like, well, you know, yeah, it, it's the same thing as, you know, if I, I, a friend of mine, he was in our, our federation and, and he trained in a lot of different stuff. And he was a young guy and he used to go out a lot and he would always tell me about like these fights he would get into. And I'm like, how are you getting to so many fights? You know, what, what are you, I mean, I understand he goes out and says like, but dude, I was in the Navy and I went out and I did a lot of stuff and I was in a lot of places that I should not have been and I never got into a fight. So how are you getting to so many fights? So when somebody is, you know, trying to talk about how, like you say, you know, they're, they've been in a thousand street fights. I'm like, well, did, did you win all of them? I can't believe that numbers, you know, would, would dictate that you probably lost one or two. But yeah, you know, you need to look at your life, not teach me. Exactly right. When when it's a, for those that are involved, you know, like police officers, doormen, people like that, I, I get, prison officers. Yeah, I, I get through the the definition of their employment. That's going to happen. Right. But but the, the guy that's you know like like as we said, he's getting involved in it. It's lifestyle issues and it's personal control issues and it's awareness issues, and, and they're more far more effective self defense skills than throwing a good punch. If, if you're the kind of guy who gets irritated by people and starts swinging punches, it's not better punching skills you need. You need a personality adjustment. You, you, you need <laughs> your personality is going to see you end up in prison, or your personality is going to see you get badly hurt. So, we, we, you know, right. it's always just saying, okay, what's the objective? And the objective is to, you know, in, in, in enjoy our lives and, and not have that criminal element, you know, impact upon it. And, then, you know, and, and again, the other thing I think we forget is that, is, I mean, statistically, the chances of anyone in the modern Western world being a victim of violent crime are fairly low. I mean, obviously, the higher in some places other than, than others, you know. Um, and, and, and certainly the chances of you dying from violent crime. I mean, I, I was just, I think, the last set of government, the UK statistics, something, something like 550 people killed in 12 months. You know, and, and then you compare that, and I think you're 70 times more likely to die from heart disease. Yeah, you know, yeah. so there's, there's that element. You know, if you really want to worry about, you know, protecting yourself, you know, then there's the, the physical side of it. The fact that you keep them fit and healthy are probably better for you than, than that. And, and and the worry of obsessing about violent crime, the the disproportionate worry about violent crime, that can be as damaging, I think, as the actual crime itself. Sometimes, you know, and I think oh, there's some elements of the martial arts to foster that. There's like a paranoia. Oh, and it's it's not it's not psycho. I mean, uh, the, the 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 awareness. The, the precautions rather you take, they just need to be commensurate to the threat. If they're not in measure with the threat, then you're vulnerable. And if they're excessive compared to the threat, then you're in the paranoia zone. And right. we want to well, avoid both of those. Right? And you got to remember, you know, you, you, you're talking to somebody who's in the States and like, you know, context and nuance and whatnot. Have you seen Facebook? I mean, there's, 
we, we don't have that here, you know, people, you know, so we've got, you know, I mean, regardless of what goes on, then that, of course, the, the, the single sampling statistic of, you know, one thing is, you know, there's street fights every day and there's gangs of thugs roaming up and down the streets when you walk out, you know, of your suburban house. So it's, yeah, yeah. And I, and I totally think that martial art instructors on various levels encourage that. But no, that's right, because it's marketing. Because, because right. what they're saying is, they're saying, okay, let me tell you there's a problem, and then I'll let me sell you the solution to that problem. Right. But, so, 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 so it, it, but that's, that's, that's not, you're far better going. Is, you know, yes, you know, that, that possibly does exist, and we'll address that. But you know what? One of the most likely ways that you're going to die is heart disease. So let's, let's exercise and get, let's get some healthier. Right. You know, let's, let's spend some good time in a positive environment with, with, with good people. And let's prepare for violent crime so we're ready for it. But we're not going to obsess about it. And we're not going to let it dominate our lives. And we're not going to kind of be scared to leave our house because we've bought into the fact that everybody we're coming across is a, you know, a potential murderer. It's just, it's, it's, it's not like that you know and right. again going back to our point is if you're the kind of person who goes well nowhere in my life there are people trying to kill me every day we'll sort your life out <laughs> <laughs> right well, exactly you need to go and reflect go to the library and hang out the uh, one of the things that, that i like joking like my friends that do you know a lot of grappling and whatnot and they'll say you know 90 percent of the fights end up on the ground and i said well yeah that's the ground guys telling you that because 100% <laughs> of their fights should end up on the ground because that's what they do. They go to the ground. And, and we were kind of talking back and forth. And I said, well, you know, you go to YouTube. This is, you know, well, go to YouTube and look at the videos and people end up on the ground. I said, but look at them and see what happens. A lot of times they're, they're swinging wildly and then someone trips and the other guy falls on top of them. Yes, it went to the ground because they were stupid and, you know, they, they tripped. <laughs> it, but it's not by design. It was by, by fault. Yeah, well, that, 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 I mean, and again, you know, when you get these statistics, a lot of them as well come from police departments. So if a police, you know, you want to handcuff somebody, you want him face down on the ground. You know what I mean? So it's different for civilians. I don't need to worry about what happens to that criminal. I just need to be away from him. So, I, you know, what I mean, so and, and, and I think I, I always I mean, I use the analogy for I mean, ground fighting for its own sake. You know, I got the, the judo dojo and you do the, the rolling round on the ground and it's it's it's, it's great fun. And then if you take the back to the self-defense context, I always say, well, it, it's like um, crash landing is to the airline pilot. You know, it's a skill that he needs, but it's not a skill he wants to use. <laughs> so, so, you know, if, if the plane's heading towards the ground, well, he best know how to land it safely. Do you know what I mean? So, that, that, yes, that's a skill you definitely need, but he wouldn't choose to crash land. So when people go, like, you know, 90% of fights end up on the ground, yeah, but you don't want to be there. Right. And, and, and the big one for me on that is because of the, the multiple opponents – and this is another one I think a lot of martial artists do wrong is all the trainings one on one, the drill one on one, and and for UK crime stats, I think forty yeah, percent of violent crime involves more than one person, and that forty percent is the one where you get injured. So so most violent crime is in the UK is drunk young males punching other drunk young males where nobody gets seriously injured, right? So so. The, just don't go where drunk males hang out and grow up. You know, the older you get in the UK, <laughs> the older you get in the UK, the less likely you are to be a violent crime. Most vi people that are involved in violent crime are under twenty-four. Right. So, so, so when we've got, um, um, uh, you know, as, as, you, as you get older, it, it, it's less of a, a, um, a worry. So once you get into that, you've got this forty percent where gangs are involved. They're the ones where people get badly injured. You know, kicked to death. You know, beaten, badly hurt. 
And if there's multiple people, and if you train multiple people, you'll learn that it doesn't matter how good you are on the ground, as soon as you are on the ground with that guy, and you could be choking him out, you could be snapping his joints, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be winning that ground fight, but his five friends will be sticking their feet into your head. Yeah. You know, or his, or, his, or his one friend will, or they'll be stabbing you. You know, it's just the, 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 the ground can be a fun place to be for play mm-hmm. and, and for one-on-one fighting. And it's a skill we need should everything else go wrong. But to opt to do it, it's, it's, just, it's, it's, a, it's a bad move. And when people try and argue that it's not, I say you've never drilled it with more than one person. Right. Just dr- drill it with more than one person and tell that person, kick the guy. One of the drills we do, I'll get two to fight on the ground, numbered one and two. So one and two will roll around on the ground trying to pin one another, submit one another, you know, enjoy the play of it. And then the guy that's standing up, the third guy, I as the instructor will shout out one or two. And at that point, the third guy goes to the help of the guy whose number I've just shouted. And he can punch and he can kick and he can grapple. And without fail, the, the, the guy that's getting helped is going to win and the guy that's not is going to lose because he's so vulnerable. He can't move. And even if he's winning, the other guy can just put his feet in really easy. Ground is not a good place to be for self-defense. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, I did that with one of my students. Was He was a young guy, and he wrestled in high school. And he would always, like, do, go to the ground on stuff. And so one day I was like, okay, you know, do your thing. And they attacked me. I had everybody in the dojo jump on him. <laughs> and he got done, and, and he looked up at me like, you know, you son of a – and I, I said, well, you know. There you go. There's there's the breakdown on that. You know, uh, I don't think that it, it, we talked about it in our last episode about you know the the crucible um, about these you know big huge uh, long tests and in one of them and a lot of the videos and stuff I see it's generally like one guy sparring like three people and they're never doing anything to uh, get out or get away. They're never they're not doing anything to kind of better their position. They're basically just you know taking punches and, and hitting a guy and you know they all three circle them they don't you know string them or you know they, they do nothing to try and do it and and to me in my head and that's what we talked about was like that's not effective self-defense because it does nothing that you talk about the rest of the time and, no no that, that, that's it that's it and what, i'm totally with you because you find that um, with multiple opponents because people go the, the, the standard answer when you say if you've got multiple opponents, you don't want to grapple, you don't want to get the ground. They say, well, look, if there's more than one person, you're probably going to lose anyway. Well, to me, that's, well, what, just what, give up and die? Is that my option? You know, so you, you've got to think, <laughs> but their mistake is, I think, you know, I can't outfight three uh, three people. And you're probably right. You can't outfight three people. So what you don't do is you don't fight them. It's in a self-defense context. You flee. Right. You fight to flee. But again, if you haven't practiced those skills, you won't be good at them because there is skills in terms of, well, how do you move? How do you hit while you're moving? How do you create space? Um, so we'll have in the dojo is, and they have to do it for grading exams as well. You, you say, okay, um, for example, you put one person in a certain position. You'll put a couple of people in front of him and say, right, you've got the, they can punch, they can kick, they can go to the ground. You can do whatever you want. You've got to try and escape. You've got to get to that red mat or you've got to touch the wall or, and you guys have got to, you know, just beat the living daylights out of him and try and stop him. And, and, and if you try and fight them, uh, um, it's always a disaster. This is the, the fighting <laughs> skills aren't good for self-defense. If they put up the guard and try and fight, or if they grab that one person, that's it, game over. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I think you did a video on that one time uh, a few years ago, and I, I did that in mine, and it was like a, an eye-opening experience. Uh, because especially in, ours, in the dojo that we were training at the time, it was essentially like, it was like a 12-foot-wide, 40-foot-long sort of hallway 
So it was really easy to hem people in. <laughs> and so get, trying to get in, you know, tight spaces. So trying to get, you know, six feet past two people, very hard. Uh, and, and it was a good drill. So thank you for that, by the way. No, um, no, you're, well, you're welcome. You know, and then that's a, you know, that's a thing, you know, if, we, if we're going to do it, we've got to drill it live and we've got to drill it in a way that mimics what we're actually going to try and do in, in reality, you see. And I think then very quickly you, you learn what works and what doesn't. And it also answers that problem as well, because we talked about, you know, sometimes people have this thing of, um, uh, well, uh, um, you, if you haven't got any real life experience, then you don't know what you're talking about, but we don't want you to get real life experience because you shouldn't get involved in fights. And that, that you get this kind of dichotomy for students where they get confused, where you get some martial artists saying, you know, well, you need real life experience and they get others saying, yeah, but don't. And I think one of the good things, if you structure your training right, is although it's not real, it's far from real. We can give people realistic experiences where we're not telling them, look, go out into the big wide world and cause trouble and go to bad places and, you know, see if it works. We can let them see if it works by replicating it as closely as we can in the dojo, you know, so it's a good confidence builder for them that way. And they gain legitimate experiences and, and are much more able to assess what works and doesn't work in scenarios like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, there was a, a question. Get back to the actual you know, martial arts side of, of what's going on. So when you, um, uh, you're constantly push, pushing out uh, information and, and you're posting up videos and it, it, it's pretty remarkable, you know, the, the, uh, the amount of information that you put out. So how do you approach research and stuff? Do you come up with a concept that you're in class one day and you see, you know, a technique in a kata and go, oh, there's a good drill I can pull out of that. And then, do you work with your students? Do you work it with some training partners? Do you, you know, and, and on your podcast, a lot of times you'll then go back to, you know, an old karate text or something and say, and, you know, this is like the thing about Funakoshi's throws and stuff like that. How do you, I mean, are you constantly researching or are you just having like aha moments in the shower and then, you know? <laughs> no, I, um, I'm lucky really that this is my full time job, you see. So from the moment, I get up in the morning, I'm studying martial arts pretty much until the moment I go to sleep at night. So you know, I'm either producing stuff on it or I'm talking to people about it. I'm teaching it. I'm interacting with other people. So the the research tends to be a, a never-ending process, really. You know, And fortunately, you know, I've got the, the time to do it as well. So... But you're constantly getting, there's just, you're surrounded by, you know, like I'll go onto my forum on my website and someone will pose a question. That's a, you know, that's a good angle I haven't explored yet. Or um, someone will recommend a book that I haven't read and I'll read that and that'll throw up some new lines of inquiry. And, um, and you know, I'm lucky that the, the guys that I, I, I personally, you know, train with, you know, Murray's and Fred's and Tim's and all, I mean, you know, the people will know from the books and the videos. I mean, they've been training, they're all, you know, 20, 30-year martial veterans as well. So I've got people like that around me um, bouncing ideas off me as well. So it's, um, it's a yeah, pretty much endless process. Oh, oh and, and probably the way it should be, I imagine. Yeah, but uh, it's a bit more iconic, but what tends to happen is every so often someone will say something and it, it's, it's a, a character flaw that works well for me, really. But when I, I can be a bit single-minded, so when someone mentions a certain thing or an idea then i have to explore it to the nth degree before i can let it go so uh, sometimes that will happen is there'll be something that just sparks okay i need to f learn about this or i need to kind of explore this or i need to think about this and then that'll be kind of 
end up like mini projects, if you like. But they they they're branches off a organic trunk, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking down my my list of uh, awesome questions. Uh, you know, you 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 clearly have researched. You know, the history of karate. You you know, you, you seem to have a, a pretty good facility with the terminology and whatnot. Have you actually traveled to Japan or Okinawa and trained over there? Um, uh, I've been to Japan once. So, um, uh, a number of years ago. So I, the, the, my, my, um, research isn't direct. Um, but I don't think it needs to be either, to be quite honest, because I've always said I'm a pragmatist, not an historian. So my interest in history only goes as far as it helps me today. So you'll get, you know, people argue, no, 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 he didn't die in 1926. He died in 1925. My view is, well, he's dead. You know what I mean? I don't need to know the exact date, you know? (laughs) Um, and so you'll get you'll get things like that, or master such and such taught it this way, and master and such and such taught it that way. I thought I don't really care because I need to know how I'm doing it. So um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we call it. I, I we did a show, or I think I posted on Facebook or something about martial, you know, karate hipsters. And I, I think there's a, a <laughs> you know a certain point of you know okay yeah you know it's yeah it's the ancient scrolls and. You know, there's he said, and then he said, and then there's the you know, in our federation, uh, you know, the, well, there's politics in every federation, clearly. But you know, when you hear like the stories of guys who trained in Okinawa, you know, back in the 70s and the 60s and whatnot, and you hear like four different versions of essentially the same story, and then in my head, I just kind of average them and you know, kind of go down the middle, and I'm like, that's probably what happened, <laughs> yeah. you know, but but it doesn't change the fact, you know, that you know, whatever. The technique is, is is probably still the same technique. It's just whatever emphasis whoever taught it along the way came over that act. I have um, that's exact. I have a little exercise that I do at um, seminars. It takes about an hour, where we I always say it's four hundred years of karate history in one hour. And, and I mean, I won't explain it all now, but basically we do that where I get people to create a kata, then they've got to split off and then they've got to teach it. Then I'll get them back into groups to standardize it. And it, it, very quickly, people realize how these Chinese whispers, if you like, or the telephone game, how it can have a big <laughs> influence on um, how things get um, transmitted without losing the core message, I think, in a lot of cases. But people obsess about the details in a way that's maybe not overly healthy i mean i do like the history of it and I, and I think one of the reasons the karate appeals to me as opposed to other martial arts is i like to feel part of that tradition i like to feel part of that line that's you know came behind me to where i am now and they'll extend on in front of me after i'm done um so from that point of view i like to know the the history but i, I i'm not an historical reenactment guy you know <laughs> i i, I want to know what i'm doing for me now and and we've got to remember that's what the old masters were doing you know that they weren't trying to preserve some archaic old system that were saying well you know what what works for us and that they were seem to have no issue whatsoever with changing and tweaking things in a in a way that they felt made things more you know efficient oh yeah that's yeah that's actually when we talk to uh, i have people come and train with me from you know other systems and uh because there's not a lot of okinawan styles uh, here in in Austin, but you know, we, we talk about cross training and, you know, and, and the, I have a friend of mine who's a Goju guy and, and he's doing Kabuto and he's like, you know, what, you know, Bokata do you do? And I'm like, well, I do Bo Shodan. 
I do Bo Nidon, I do Bo Sondon. <laughs> and he's like, well, uh, well, we do those, but we'll do them and they'll look differently. I'm like, well, yeah, because that was just something. And then, but we'll do kata that is the same name and it's, you know, uh, different enough to be noticeably different. And, and, you know, somebody says, he's like, I've got to collect the versions of, of that. Set. I was like, well, you have the kata. The versions are whatever you, because those guys work together and that guy liked this thing and that guy liked that thing. It's not two different ones. It's the same one. Yeah, absolutely. Different approaches. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that, I think, kind of delves off into the martial hipsterism, hipsterism a little bit of, you know, trying to find the most pure or more, you know, it's whatever, whatever's working. That's what we call it. Um, that's what I prefer. Uh, to get back to your regular class, so, I mean, uh, you're clearly a little bit of a celebrity, you know, to those of us in, in, in karate in general, but uh, it, it, you, you are, man. You're awesome. And uh, we really appreciate all your work that, that you do. But Thank you. When, when people come into your dojo, like, do you, do you have, like, new students walk in and they're like, hey, can I sign up for karate? I mean, they wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, there's, you know, that saying, you're never a prophet in your old land, are you? You know, that, that's... So I, the town that I teach in, um, my family goes back generations here, you know, um, everybody that's been, you know, in the town, they all know me, um, is, but the, the club that's in the town, they've no real idea of its, its, its wider influence or the fact that I travel as extensively as I, I do. Most people just turn up because it's one of the local clubs and they know me and they know that I teach there. Um, it's one of the things that my, my girlfriend, uh, she trains in um, Gujaru. The first time she visited my club, she was amazed that half of them didn't even know that I'd written books and DVDs when she was talking to them. Wow. <laughs> so it's a, and, and, and you just forget, you know, we turn up and we train and, you know, and they're, they're just some of the younger students have just, if, unless they've searched my name on Google, they, they, you know, they probably wouldn't know, you know. Huh, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, many of my students don't know that I'm an internationally known podcaster, uh, <laughs> feared and revered. But uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, in my head, I'm trying to imagine, yeah, because you are from kind of a smaller town. So, I mean, are there many other schools in your area? And are they all like, you know? Yeah, there's quite a few, but m most of the ones that we have, I mean, you know, we all kind of know each other. So there's some, you know, like occasionally, like everywhere, you get clubs have opened up by some guy who's trained for six months and started his own dojo, but they never tend to last particularly long. But those that have some longevity and a decent kind of um, lineage, we've all trained together. We all know one another, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I know in a lot of places you'll get kind of a lot of rivalry between certain clubs, and we don't tend to get that too much around here, really. Everybody knows who each other's clubs what they focus on. So I'll get people who'll send students to mine. I'll send students to other people's if I think they can better serve them. So, right. and, and you're in your class, I, I, I've seen a couple of videos that, you know, you said were, were from a regular night's class. Mm -hmm. you, do you, is your school like in a storefront? I mean, are you just, you're, no, that's, you're teaching that's, at like a rec center, right? A, a church hall. Yeah. Church right. halls. And, and it's the same church hall we've taught in for, uh, what's 27, 28 years? I think the club's wow. been going now. So, um, yeah, that's um, how I started. It was in a church hall, you know, right down the street from my house. So, yeah, well, this is, I mean, I started this, um, I, I trained 15 miles away from where I live. Um, I eventually, I was, um, one of my instructors, it was a third Dan, was starting a club up in my hometown. So I was a, 
I think I knew first down or something at the time, you know, I said I'd help. And then um, he injured himself and quit. <laughs> so, so I suddenly found myself in a club to run. So that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's how, how that kind of um, worked. And it's just been uh, been run ever, ever, ever since. But we're just a small club. You know, I think sometimes when, because, you know, I've got a relatively um, big online presence and public profile, but, you know, there's 20 of us training most nights there'll be you know because people work and stuff there'll be 15 16 of us you know a lot of whom have trained for a very long time so it's not a a big storefront thing with hundreds of students it's just a small number of people who get together and train a few times a week you know wow that's amazing because i mean you know clearly that's dan and i have talked about it uh, on more than a few occasions it was like we got to find that whatever that combination that, that, that Ian did to become a pro. And so, you know, kind of in your head, you know, you don't, uh, don't take this the wrong way. It's like, you're a commercial martial artist, you're a professional martial artist, what you do, you know, you do what you do for a living, but you kind of, and that's why I asked the question was, because in your head, you got to think of like, well, this guy has got to have like this really slick, cool looking dojo with like all these students, <laughs> and, you know, da, da, da. and then when I see uh-huh. the videos and it's like, that's a chimney, and I mean that's a fireplace <laughs> that's in, the, right. in, the, in the back. And, <laughs> the fireplace, yeah, yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what is that? Just like a back room? Is that his house? I don't get it. And then you know, <laughs> when you say like, oh, it's a, a night at the, at the dojo, you don't think about that. That although you're a professional martial artist, uh, you know, clearly your dojo is not what you're looking at as you know. No, nah, it, it costs me money. The, uh, the club loses money. You know, I mean, it's because um, we've never put fees up in God knows how long. And on that side of things, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, I, I like the club. I like the people down at the club, but it's it's not um it's not a commercial part of 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 what I do really. But I had to laugh. To a friend of mine once went on a course, like a business martial arts course, and they were talking about various ways in which you could you know monetize the martial arts and make a, you know a good living from following your passion. So. They went through all the various models that you can do, you know, so you can make products and you can sell equipment and you can run schools and you can run competitions and they're doing all this kind of stuff. And then finally goes on, there's the Ian Abernethy way of doing things, you know, that travels, teaches seminars, sells, you know, kind of books and DVDs, you see. So my friend came back and I was like, well, I said, you know, he says, I was on, they did a section on your method. I said, I didn't even, wasn't even aware I had a method. (laughs) So it sounds like I need to go on that course. Yeah. (laughs) Find out what you're doing right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I say I'm, but I'm lucky that way because I, I did. For, there was a period of time where I was teaching every night of the week, and and uh, I didn't enjoy it. It, it was it was it was too much. I, I, I make no secret of this, but I, I work better with what I call the karate nuts, the people who are super <laughs> enthusiastic about it. So, and, and that, that, you know, if I've got a white belt who's a karate nut, that's great. If I've got a, you know, fifth dan who's a karate nut, that's great too. But you know, it, it's a high level of enthusiasm. So I'm not. There's a place, I think, for recreational martial arts. I, 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 you know, the guy who wants to do it maybe once, twice a week, and that's his thing. But, but that's not my thing. So um, when I was teaching a lot, I was finding that I was spending a lot of my time with what I would call the recreational martial artists, and it just wasn't satisfying enough for me. So but thankfully, you know, the, the seminar side of things it, um, took off to such a huge degree um, that enables me to... Um, as you say, I put out all the free stuff that I do, keep a roof over my head, uh, and get to travel and spend my time with all the, the karate nuts, you know. So it's <laughs> you know, good for me and good for them, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, and here, uh, I've got a note here. Uh, it was about, you know, explaining about martial arts in the UK, and you're talking about how far your family goes back. 
uh, in the area. And I remember you did a, a show where one day where you you uh, you said a, a, a quote in Cumbrian or something, <laughs> and they had to, and. And, and I don't know, about six months later, you put a, uh, a podcast out, and this is, you know, just, I don't know, this sticks in my head every time I, I listen to your show, is you were talking about a technique, and you, and, and, and you use, you know, terms, you know, Japanese terminology, not a ton, but enough to where you said something you were talking about, and uh, when you're doing an edite kick, and I was like, edite kick? <laughs> Ed Ike kick. What? You know, and I'm thinking like Ed I T E and I'm and I, and I like literally for a week I listened to it again and I'm like Ed I kick and I kick. And then a week or three later you had another shot and I was like, Oh a head height kick. Ah, <laughs> right. oh, cause you know I, I know now you're using our your your posh accent as you say, you know. And oh and this this is I mean that's pe- people remark on the accent a lot because they can't quite place it because it's not what they they think of as an English accent, you know, so it gets yeah. mistaken for Scottish and Irish and all kinds of things, you know, because people can't quite, um, uh, quite, can't quite get it. But when I talk to my friends and my family and I drop into my full accent, I mean, so my, my girlfriend's from Oxford, you know, so she speaks as she would say Ox- uh, proper English. Mm-hmm. But so when she hears me speak, she's like, no, no, couldn't get a word of that. You know, when, when, it's, <laughs> when I drop into my local local speech but the, the ones I always is obviously you know teach in a lot of countries where english isn't the first language mm-hmm. so a lot of the guys tell me that you know for the first five minutes i didn't understand a word <laughs> <laughs> and then i managed to tune in to okay i'm with him now you know so yeah that's yeah. literally the question i was getting ready to ask is is, is there a because you know you're going to be uh for those of you guys who who siddly don't don't follow in he's going to be here in texas uh, so you're going to have to deal with that Texas drawl. You know, you may, it may be the other way for you. You may be going, like, what are you saying? Well, I think one of the advantages we have that way is, is because we get so much American TV, movies, um, music, used to certain American accents, you know what I mean, and all the variations that you get, you see. So I've, ne- I've never had that, that, that problem yet, but um, you never know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out at the end of January. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and of course, you know, you got to make sure no one brings a gun in because you know, you'd be doing weapons defense all day. This is Texas, you have to like, you know, everyone has to unload at the door. It's, it's, this, and, and this is your first uh, seminar in Texas, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see a, a money, maybe more of a shift? Because I know you're over in, in Europe a lot. Are you seeing more of a shift towards the Americas or, you know, otherwise? Uh, a few more, yeah. I mean, I, I used to get a lot of inquiries from um, the US, but but you, and Canada as well. But you, you know, you've got this thing called the Atlantic Ocean, and it just makes it timely and costly to get there. I mean, I can get to Germany, Denmark, Norway. I pop on a plane, I'm there an hour and a half. You know what I mean? So a lot of you, Europe's a small place, so um, it's easy to get around, and you can, you know. I mean, I have done it. I've, I've taught in a European country where I've. I've left in the morning and I've been back the next, you know, early in the early hours of the following day. Obviously, going across the US, it's it's um, it's it's a bit more difficult. But uh, lovely the US though; it's always a fun place to teach it for me. It's um, uh, always an exciting place to visit. Uh, yeah, we and we're very excited to have you here. Uh, and I guess maybe uh, just real quick before we wrap up, when what are you? And clearly, as Everyone knows I'm a huge fanboy of you, and many people that listen to this podcast are. Are there anybody that you're kind of like awed by in the martial arts that you've run into because you've been doing these seminars? Oh yeah, loads of people. Um, 
I, I mean, I just the one that immediately I was, I was just uh, was. Um, well, it, I, I, this is where I'm really lucky is I get to rub shoulders now with a lot of the people that I get excited about talking to and training with. So if you like um, uh, Chris Wilder and Lawrence Kane in the US, you know, I really like their stuff. And I'm, you know, both guys are quite friendly with me now. And then um, I really enjoy Rory Miller's stuff. And I've been a, like Mark McYoung's stuff. I've been a big fan of Mark's stuff for years and years and years. And then the first time I taught in Seattle, um, it was part of a group event that Mark was teaching at. And I remember looking across at Mark teaching and really enjoying what he was teaching. And then I had this kind of fanboy moment where I realized that, well, Mark McYoung's got a T-shirt with my name on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's wearing a T-shirt with all the names of the people teaching and my name's on it, you see. So, oh, so okay. yeah, no, that's, that's and that's the thing, you know, I, I have a, a really never uh, started martial arts as a young kid and it enthralled me and excited me then. And that's never gone. And where I'm lucky now is, that, you know, I get to do it on a kind of um, full-time basis. So there's people that I'm, I'm always meeting that, you know, really kind of impress me, you know. Some that are well-known, some that are not so well-known. But, um, yeah, I've definitely had that, yeah. Well, Ian Abernathy, thank you very, very much for being on Karate Cafe. My pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been it's great. Again, uh, thank you for all the work you do, your, your commitment to martial arts in general, practical karate in, in particular and uh you know and, and for my personal thing you know a uh, sort of i don't know a reiteration about like how important kata is and how uh the 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 foundation of of martial arts well, thank you very much Norm. please you you find it of value that's great <laughs> myself and many 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 people do <laughs> uh anyway and have a happy holidays and uh, look forward to uh seeing you in in january yes absolutely yeah you too thank you very much Holy cow, that was fantastic. Uh, I got to speak with Ian Abernethy. That's, uh, I'm just over the moon about that. Uh, everyone knows uh, the Karate Cafe's you know, uh, admiration of, of what he does and, and how he does it and uh, how much he has helped bring traditional martial arts kind of back to the fore and uh, you know, to, to some sort of relevance. Not that it was irrelevant, don't get mad at people, but to bring uh, traditional martial arts and, and, and let people revisit um, all the awesome things that there, there are to find and, and expand people's minds is, is just fantastic. We really appreciate him sitting down and taking the time in this holiday season. And we really hope you guys all had a really great holiday season. I'm sure you guys used the Amazon link uh, to, to buy things for your loved ones and maybe a little something for yourself. Go ahead. Treat yourself right. So with that, uh, we probably won't have any more shows until 2016. And I think this is a great way to wrap up uh, this year, this 10th year of Karate Cafe. So with that, we look forward to talking to you all again in 2016. Thanks for listening to another episode of Karate Cafe. You can join the conversation by emailing us at karatecafe at gmail.com. Call our comment line at 469-844-5791 or log into the forum at karatecafe.com. Remember, you can support the show by visiting our sponsor, piranagear.com, or shopping at Amazon through our link, karatecafe.com slash Amazon, or donate at karatecafe.com. I'm Steve Henderson, proud supporter and voice talent for Karate Cafe. If you or someone you know needs an effective voice for a film, television, radio, or new media web project, contact me at stevehendersonvoiceovers at gmail.com 
or call me at 404-314-8400. Once again, thanks for listening to Karate Cafe. 